Those of you who are parents, every week that that video goes up, you kind of go, yeah. Remember the why phase? As you haven't been parents yet, just remember, enjoy the why phase. As difficult as it may be, somehow I feel like I'm not sitting on that properly. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't work right, Gilbert, when I'm not spinning in it. So... I want to do something just a touch different than what I normally do um, this morning because the question that we're trying to answer uh, as the final week of the series is, how do I know God's will for my life? And so I want to approach this from a little bit different angle because a lot of times when people say, well, how do I know God's will for my life? It's very compartmentalized. It's very situational. It's very much in this one track of what's my career, what's my job, what's my, you know, we're looking for a task, we're looking for a direction. And I want to open that up. I want to start maybe just a little bit broader than that. And to do that, I'm going to actually give an opportunity for me to be embarrassed um, by inviting my oldest daughter, Corinne, to come join me. And uh, <clears throat> you, know you're, you know there's danger when you give a teenager a microphone. So, oh, look at that. You're taller than me. Does this have a thing? It does have a thing. There we go. That's better. Now, now I can't touch. <laughs> I've got to play on the. I've got to play on the thing. So I can face you. Man, I'm gonna get a like. Maybe get an oar. I can. <sighs> so just so you all know, and I want to set this up. There, there was no scripting. Sorry, I'm awkward physically at the moment. Um, <laughs> there was no scripting. There was no prep for her. Uh, she has no idea what I'm going to ask her. All I said to her was, would you be okay if I pull you up on stage to start the message and just ask you a couple questions where, you know, try to be respectful, but you could actually embarrass me quite a bit. Uh, and she's like, sure. <laughs> and then, the, then like a few later, minutes later, it dawned on her like, what are you going to ask me? Can you tell me what the questions are? I need to prepare. <laughs> like, nope, sorry, no prep. So just so you know, she's hitting this cold. So whatever comes out of her mouth, we may have some, uh, we may have some family discussion after. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I have asked her, though, to, 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 like, not disclose anything about the medieval torture devices in our home or, you know, the, so anyways, <laughs> so I am joking. I said, okay, you, they tell them I'm joking. Okay, all right, yes, you have a microphone, you must speak into it. <laughs> He's joking. There we go. All right, so I wanted to open by just asking a couple questions to you, um, and now I can give you the category. So, or I'll just give you the question, because I think that's going to sort of cast it for you. When, um, when I tell you something specific that I would like you to do, or I have a specific expectation of you, how do you know what I mean? Can you rephrase that? Yeah, so how do you know what I mean? How do you, how do you, when I tell you something that I expect of you or I tell you something that I want you to do, whether that's a specific task or a principle for the day, like make wise choices, how do you know what I expect of you? How do you know what I mean by that? Um, I mean, because you're my father, so I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I just kind of know it. You just kind of know yes, it. Yes. All right, so let me, let me take a little bit different, a little bit deeper. How do you tell the difference? Yeah, get your mic up closer to you. There you go. So how do you tell the difference between when I'm really upset about something, and this is the one where you're going to be like, oh, you're giving me like the target. Um, how do you know when I'm really upset about something 
versus when I'm just kind of reacting to something and I'm angry and it's going to blow over and you should really not respond. How do you know the difference? Okay, so when you're actually like seriously angry, mm -hmm. that could really loud. Yes, that's good. That's right. <laughs> right there is good. <laughs> when you when you get seriously angry, um, you you there's. Okay, so when you're not seriously angry and you're joking with us. You're not um, going to hurt my ego. It's okay. I'm trying to figure out how to phrase this. Oh, okay. All right. When you're not Tell seriously Tell them about the angry. flames and the, you know, the, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> when you're not seriously angry, uh, you kind of, you're trying to hide back a smile almost, like when you're teasing with us, or like when it's something that you're only slightly upset about and you're not, like, you're not really, really, really upset about it. You're just kind of joking with us or something like that. But when you're when you're really really angry, um, there's just something on your face that you just like. We all know. Don't don't talk to dad. Don't 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 go near him. <laughs> I go to Kaylee. Don't don't go don't go to dad right now. <laughs> don't go. Don't go in the room. Just yeah. Okay. Am I alone in that? Like, am I in the only? It's like. Okay, because you're giggling, and I don't know if that's like I'm the only person who's like that, or you're all going. Yeah, we have that family member. You know, over over all that. Way. Okay. Yeah, okay, see, I'm seeing some younger faces nodding and Lynn looking at their parents, and that's good. Um, <laughs> so it's one thing to know when I'm kidding and I'm joking being angry and when I'm really angry, but then there's, there's when I'm upset about something and I'm just, I'm just blowing steam. I don't really expect you to act on it. I'm just venting. And there are times where, and I'm angry, I'm still angry, but there are other times I'm angry and what I'm saying to you, I expect action out of it. How do you tell the difference between those two? So when you expect action from us, you typically, um, you gesture towards the object that you want, or the thing that you want us to do, and you're not as loud. <laughs> um, I'm taking notes, by the way. <laughs> you're not as loud, but when you're just blowing steam, you tend to continue on with your lecture or rant. So, like, he'll say something to us, and, like, we'll get it. We'll understand. And then, like, five minutes later, we'll be in the car, and all of a sudden, he'll bring it up again. <laughs> so, it's something, like, I'll sit here, and, like, I'll be lectured, and then we'll get in the car, and it's, like, only two minutes that we'll get in the car. And then I'll sit there, and I'm like, all right, I know something else is coming. He's been pretty quiet. And there it is. <laughs> See, this is good. This is healthy. You're, you're witnessing family counseling at the same time. This goes back a few okay. weeks ago for whoever asked the question, number one. Remember, somebody asked a question about parenting uh, like two weeks ago, and we didn't answer that, so now you're getting your answer. Um, last question for you. When is it hardest for you to know what I want or what I expect of you? So I'm kind of flipping that over. When, when it's hard for us to know what you want? When is it hard for, hardest for you to know what I expect of you or what I think of you? When you don't talk to us? I mean, typically you are very direct with what you want us to do. Um, unless you're teasing, which then you're not really angry, so... <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm putting anger aside. Like, we did the anger thing. Okay. But when is it hardest for you to just know what I expect of you or what, or what I think of you? 
It's right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you don't explain things well enough, okay. um, or I keep going back to the joking thing because that's like one of the main things. Like when you're joking, or when you like switch words, mm -hmm. when you switch the first letter of the word, mm -hmm. sometimes he'll say something and he'll switch the letters on purpose, and I'll have to sit there and be like, "Oh, that's what you mean <laughs> for like a minute." So or for the two. most part, when I'm either deliberately confusing because I'm trying to be confusing, or when I haven't told you enough information for you to be able to make a decision. Okay. Is there anything that she's answered here that to, to all of you seems like completely out of left field, completely disengaged from your everyday family life and the relationships that you have? Any, no? I mean, I mean is, this pretty, is it pretty close to home? Okay, so let's thank her for being up here. And thanks, man. The reason I share that, and the reason why that's important, is because it plays right into the first point that I want to make, and that is, if we are going to know God's will for our life, if we're going to know what God expects of us, we have to be able to hear him. And, you know, you heard the final part of her answer, that when, she, when it's hardest for her to know what I expect of her, it's when I probably haven't given enough information. Well, let's, put that, let's flip that around onto God. Do you think God has given enough information in his word? I mean, I mean just if God is God, does God know how to perfectly communicate? Let's, let's put it that way. I mean, we would expect so, right? Like God should be able, if he's truly God, he should be able to, com to, to perfectly communicate and give us all the information that we need. So if we don't understand what God expects of us, if we don't know what God wants for us, there is probably a gap somewhere in our ability to hear and a gap in our ability to hear typically goes directly to relationship so hearing will depend on how close of a relationship i have with him does that make sense i mean you think you think in a family you should, you think because you're so close to each other you should really be able to hear each other but sometimes hearing isn't a matter of proximity closeness Sometimes it's a matter of relational closeness, or I should say most of the time it's a matter of relational closeness because we can hear words in proximity, but we understand words in relationship. Does that make sense? So you, you have big points that I'm going to be putting up here, and then there's probably like a ton of little points. So those of you who are note takers, go for it. Uh, those of you who want to go back and listen to the, the message later, uh, you, you may find a few more that you want to run down. I want to put this in a, context, a biblical story context and, and just start off here because I'm going to hit a couple scriptures today, but the main one is going to be out of Samuel um, and 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 9. And, and this is a really neat story. It's always been a neat story in my mind because it really is about being able to hear and hearing God for the first time. So if you want to know God's will for your life, you have to be able to hear God. And Samuel's story is a really cool one because Samuel's mom, Hannah, Wanted a, wanted a child, and she couldn't have a child. Like, no matter what she did, she was not able to get pregnant. And she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And she finally, she finally just said, Lord, I want a child so badly. Just to have a child. Like, I just, I want to I wanna have that experience of being a mother and giving birth so badly that if you grant me a son, I will dedicate him to you and allow him to serve in your house forever. Okay? This is how serious she was, how desperately she wanted. And that doesn't mean she didn't love Samuel. But you know, God granted her a son, and true to her word, 
she dedicated him and put him into the service of Eli, the priest, to serve at the temple. So she had relationship with Samuel. She was interacting with him. It wasn't like she abandoned him to the, to the religious institution. But she put him under Samuel as a mentor, dedicating him into the Lord's service for his life. Samuel is just a young boy serving with and learning everything here from Eli. And, and I imagine that this is really early in the relationship between he and Eli. Okay, so in, in one of the first couple weeks that he's actually sleeping there in, the, in, the, in the, the house where Eli was and serving the Lord, this is what happens. So look at, uh, look at verse, verse 1 here in chapter 3. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly the Lord called out, Samuel! Yes, Samuel replied. What is it? He got up and he ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, Eli replied. I mean, so he's sleeping. I didn't call you, Eli replied. Go back to bed. Does that sound like any parent in the room right now? Like, okay. So Samuel went back to bed. Again, Samuel. Samuel gets up and he runs to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? I didn't call you, my son, Eli said. Go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord. So the Lord called a third time. And once more, Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am. Did you call me? And then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, Go and lie down again. And if someone calls again, say, Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. So Samuel goes back and he listens. Samuel is young enough, and his relationship with Eli is new enough that he couldn't tell the difference between the voice of God and the voice of Eli. This is, this, I mean, this should be a fairly common experience for us, because if we meet somebody new, and we hear their voice over the phone, or we, or we run into them in the supermarket, there's something familiar about their voice, but we may not immediately recognize because we haven't spent time with them. So their voice is unfamiliar. But when you get that phone call from somebody you haven't heard in a long time, but you spent a lot of time in the trenches with them living life, there's a big difference, isn't there? You know the minute they call, the first words out of the, you know their voice. It's there. So for Samuel as a young boy, he didn't have the life experience, he didn't have the faith experience yet to understand the difference between God's voice and Eli's voice. And he keeps running back and saying, did you call me? He had a feeling it was a voice of authority because he gets up and he takes action on it. He had an, 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 at least the understanding that it wasn't something that he was imagining and that he should just go back to sleep and it was just a dream. He had an understanding that there was something he had to respond to. He just didn't know who it was and what he needed to do. And as he interacts with Eli, and we'll find out in a minute why this may have been a struggle for Eli, 
Samuel's first step to hearing God was to position himself to hear. And Eli actually coaches him on that. He just simply coaches him on that. And he says, oh, ha, I get it. God may be trying to speak to you. Instead of coming to me, just say, here I am, Lord. Your servant's listening. Do you know that a a great majority of our ability to hear is positional? It is the ability to be present and to hear. And then the rest is relational. To be able to understand what we're hearing and what's being meant by what's being said. Samuel is in the midst of his learning phase. And one of the things that Samuel has to learn is that God's word, when he speaks, it has a purpose. You notice that earlier in the passage it says the word of God was not heard often. There were not many words. There were not many visions in this time period. Well, it's because God's word has a purpose. And whenever God speaks, something's going to happen. I mean, if we go back to Genesis, we find out God spoke and everything came into existence. God's word, when God speaks, it's a powerful thing. So he speaks with purpose. Samuel needed to learn this. But the next point we're going to wrestle with here is God's words have purpose and accomplish that purpose every time. This was something Samuel didn't know, but Samuel was going to learn. Um, Look at the uh, the rest of the verses there in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, or 10 through 21, sorry. The Lord came and called as before. Samuel, Samuel. So Samuel replied, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Then the Lord said to Samuel, and you know, I have to imagine being a little kid sitting in your room, like this is the third time it's happened. And, and what, what amazes me is Samuel's not freaked out. Like it doesn't say, and Samuel freaked out a bit going, there's a monster in my closet. What do I do? He, he didn't. So that tells me something about Samuel, but it also tells me something about the voice. You hear where I'm going here? When the voice of God speaks, if we're not in a position where what God has to say to us is dangerous to us or to our position, it's easier for us to listen. Well, Samuel, he doesn't have life experience. He doesn't have a whole lot of things that he's experienced or done in his life, so he's an open book. He's the front end of this journey, so the voice isn't terrifying to him. The voice is engaging. He's like, wow, I've never heard somebody speak, and they weren't standing in front of me. Okay, here I am. And God's like, all right, I've got his attention. And he says, uh, the Lord says to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all of my threats or all of my promises against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So I have vowed that the sins of Eli and his sons will never be forgiven by sacrifices or offerings. Samuel stayed in bed until morning. <laughs> so I, I love how there's that subtlety. <laughs> They're like, initially it's like, hey, I can hear God. Woohoo, let's go ahead, lay it on me, Lord. You know, and then and it's like, I think I'll just stay right here because that message does not sound safe. <laughs> Bad enough I woke him up two times in the middle of the night or three times and now I've got to. So 
God gives Samuel a message. Let me finish it here. So, so he goes back and he stayed in bed until morning. He got up and he opened the doors of the tabernacle as usual. He was afraid to tell Eli what the Lord had said to him. But Eli called out to him and said, Samuel, my son. Here I am, Samuel replied. He's learning, right? He's had a practical moment. He heard God. Now he knows God's voice when God says Samuel. And now he, he gets a reminder. This is what it sounds like when Eli calls. What did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything. And may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything. You know, I, the, some translations soften that a, bit, a little bit. Like it's, it's, you know, may the Lord deal with you, it may it ever be, be it ever so severely. Uh, but, you know, may the God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. Eli said, it is the Lord's will. Let him do what he thinks is best. And as Samuel grew up, the Lord was with him, and everything Samuel said proved to be reliable. What did I say to start this point off? When God speaks, he has a purpose. And the first lesson God teaches Samuel is when I speak something to you, it's going to have a purpose. And Eli, whether he knew it or not, Eli was positioned to reinforce that by saying, you need to speak it. If God told it to you, you need to speak it because if it's the truth that needs to be spoken and because truth brings about action, or at least it should on our part. But God's word always accomplishes the purpose that it has. I want to pause there for just a couple things there in that, in that section, that interaction. Because look at the judgment on Eli. Eli is the priest of Israel. He's supposed to be the religious guy. He's supposed to be the one that everybody looks to like, how do we do this right, Eli? And if you go back and you look at, at, at Eli's story and the story with his sons, his sons had done horribly blasphemous things. I mean, they had, they, I'm not going to go into their, their tale, but go back and look at it and look what they did. The sins that they committed. And God repeatedly warned Eli and said, you need to get your sons in line. Not living according to the way that I've instructed you and the way that you've instructed them to follow me. They're not doing it. You need to get them in line. Eli, if you don't get them in line, there's going to be, well, <laughs> she said it. <laughs> there's going to be heck to pay. You know, so, but in all honesty, you're going to have to deal with the Lord. Eli, you're going to have to deal with me. And Eli doesn't do it. And his sons continued their rampage of sin and ruined the reputation of God, ruined the reputation of, of Eli, the priest, and Eli does nothing. So I'm going to submit to you that not only do we need to have good relationship to hear God, and not only does God's word accomplish the purpose that it was set out for, this is a bonus point, if we have other voices that we're used to hearing, they can obscure our ability to hear God's voice. Let me give a real quick example of that. Anybody who has an overbearing parent or a very loud parent or a very sharp parent, sometimes it's a very quiet parent who's very, very, you know, they, they say that one word and you're like, the guilt just rolls on you. You're just like, oh. And what that does is it begins to frame, if that's what we grow up understanding, that how adult communicates to child, then from God to 
child of God, we overlay that method of communication. And so it becomes hard for us to understand that God is not speaking with the same tone. That can be a barrier for us. Samuel fortunately didn't have that barrier, but apparently Eli's sons did. So to those of you who are parents or are going to be parents, I encourage you, and believe me, if, if Corinne had really been brutally honest, we do not, and I think you got a peek. It's not perfect. It never is as a parent. But our job as a parent is not only to have the responsibility as a parent to be the authority, to guard our children, to make, help them make wise choices, but it's also to make sure that we train them to hear God above us. God's word set does not say without purpose, weigh heavily the counsel of your parents, okay? The word obey your parents, that means weigh heavily their counsel. So that's a given. That needs to happen. Children need to respect their parents. They need to listen. But a parent must also help a child understand the difference between their voice of authority and God's. Because as a parent, we know we're not always going to be right. And the good example Eli gives us here is to be able to say to Samuel, if God said it, you need to tell me. Even if it's judgment. But you see for Samuel the struggle. He may not have had a parent that he was you know, filtering God's voice through, but he certainly heard the message and he went, oh, that's the message. And he was afraid to share it. He was afraid to act on it. He was afraid to position himself to speak it. And that's the other piece of this. So not only may we overlay what we hear from those in authority over us as we're growing up and we hear God that way, we got to get that out of the way so we hear God clearly, but then we also have to become confident that if it's something that God has given us and it's backed up in his word, we shouldn't be afraid to walk out in it. Even if it's as sharp of a word as he gave to Eli. Because if God's going to bring judgment or if God's going to bring accountability, I think is a better word in regards to what was going on with Eli and his sons, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because God will do it perfectly. And God will make sure that the cleanup goes well. The other verse I want to share with you in, in coordination with this, because we have this elsewhere in Isaiah 55, 11, it says this. It is the same with my word. God, God is speaking here. It is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to accomplish, and it will prosper everywhere I send it. So it doesn't matter if it's a word of blessing. It doesn't matter if it's a word of judgment. It doesn't matter if it's a word of correction. It doesn't matter if it's a word of teaching. When God speaks... His word produces fruit. It, it brings about action. It started that way in Genesis, that physical reality responded to the words he spoke, and it res- it's the same today. Physical reality, whether it's inside of us, because we hear it, we understand it, we take action, or physical reality because the world cannot help but supernaturally respond to God. When he speaks, things happen. So, that clears up maybe a little bit or maybe challenge you a little bit in regards to hearing God because we want to know God's will for our life. We need to be able to hear him. Once we hear him, now we need to be able to figure out how do we put this into practice? 
How do we live this out? And this is the place where I think the question probably was coming from the most. So this, this brings us to our next point. There are clues to my purpose. How do I particularly live out God's design? What is the particular way he wants me to express his goodness, his kindness, his love, his mercy? And, and how does, what, what difference does he want me to make in the world? There are clues to my purpose in my design. Ephesians 2.10 says this. We are God's masterpiece or workmanship. He has created in us, he has created us in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has planned in advance for us to do. Or, or he's created us anew in Christ so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. That's a real simple statement. But if you look at the word workmanship, masterpiece, some of you have heard me talk about this before. It's, it's the word poema, it's, it's poem. Poems are words that are arranged with a specific purpose under specific rules to communicate in a specific way, kind of like a song. You know, we were singing this morning, and those songs were arranged to music in a particular way to evoke an emotional response as well as to evoke our celebration and help us enter into expressing something we probably wouldn't have expressed on our own, okay? That was the purpose of a song. It's the purpose of a poem, and what is being said here is you, yourself, are created that way. You're created that way. Your design from God is intended to have a purpose, is intended to have an impact on the world around you. It just is. By the very nature of God creating you, he has written a song in your life that he desires to be sung, expressed, lived out, to impact others and maybe help them express things they wouldn't have otherwise expressed. So there's a clue to my purpose when I look at my design. I can gain insight into God's direction for my life by knowing my gifts, my skills. On a real practical level, I like tools. And uh, Todd Wilson is uh, a nuclear engineer kind of person. You know, I just like he literally was uh, working with, and, and so he was called into ministry. And he is the executive pastor of Exponential uh, the Exponential Church, not this Exponential, but the Exponential Church down in Chantilly. And, you know, part of a whole movement that's going on with Exponential. And recently wrote this book called More. And when I went down to the conference, I actually had in the back of my mind, because Ephesians 2.10, the whole idea of poema, craftsmanship, with some of the artistic nature that I have, seen it elsewhere in Scripture, and I just have this series of messages that I do that all link that together. I've been wrestling with, you know, how do, I, how do I write this down in a way that might help somebody kind of chart their gifts and abilities? And, you know, and, and I go to this conference and he's like, well, I, I wrote this book to help people chart their gifts and abilities and figure out their, and I was like, oh, well, that's cool. Thank you for doing that for me. Appreciate, <laughs> appreciate that. Um, what's really cool about it is he lays the groundwork, okay? Just like with this one point in Ephesians 2.10, but he also lays the rest of the groundwork of how your design from God has a practical outlet. It really does. And then how you begin to discover it. And, and the basics, and I'll just, I'll just hit this for you real quick. He, he has a little, like, my personal calling card. And this is in the book, but this is like an expanded, blown-out sheet so you can see it. But, and you can't really see it that well, so ready? <laughs> All right. Um, but, you know, the core of it is my, my core identity is my be, my core mission is my do, and my core position is Go. And, and he explains that, but the, but the basics of it is discovering how I'm wired, what's in my DNA, what are the tools I've been given, and then how do I live it out. That's the three pieces that 
they do. And for those of you who are like really engineering and like, you know, kind of personalities, it'll go that deep for you. I mean, to the point of tracking throughout your lifetime, like key events. But if you're not that kind of a personality, you don't have to go that deep. You can, you can skim through it and gloss it and get the idea. So either way you want to take the tool, it's really helpful. So I highly recommend that book. I highly recommend using it as a tool because it will help you kind of look back over your life. And he shared his example, you know, as he looked over what are my gifts, what are my calling, he began to see repetitive themes in his life from radically different either career choices or environments that he was in he saw a consistent theme. There was that golden thread that started to pop out like, oh, you know, maybe you've been in a lot of different experiences, but in every situation, you end up being the shoulder that everybody cries on. You know, and you go, wait a minute. It didn't matter whether I was in the military. It didn't matter if I was in, uh, you know, the medical profession or whatever. I was the one that people came to with their problems. And they always seemed to trust me to help them. And I enjoyed that. Well, guess what? You might be pulling on one of those threads to say, Ah, there's an arc here. There's a, there's a thread to follow. How does that express itself in my relationship with God? What does he want to come out of that? And then how do I, how do I intentionally begin to live that and make choices according to that? Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, so that's, you know, if you want to know God's will for your life, the first thing is you've got to hear him. The second thing is you've got to understand that his word, knowing his word and being able to understand his voice is important and it will accomplish the purposes he has for it. And then you've got to look at your design. I understand there are elements he's already put into you. There are clues that he's already put into your life. I want to say one last thing on that. For some of you, the journey to discovering your purpose and how you're wired may be like climbing up a mountain, but instead of climbing straight up the mountain, you're climbing in circles around the edge of the mountain, and you just feel like, oh, wait a minute, we're not there yet? Oh. And you keep going around, and then you look up, and you go, boy, this mountain's really tall. And you just keep going and going. But each time you look back, you realize you're at a little bit higher perspective. You understand the journey a little bit more. That may be what it is for you. It's hard work, but you'll see the consistent theme. You'll at least see what the mountain is, whether that's caring for people or what have you. And you'll see each time more of how that connects. For others of you, and and let me say one last thing on that one. The people who feel that way are probably the people who have multiple gifts, multiple talents, multiple abilities. And in order for you to connect them all, God has to take you around the mountain a couple of times. Okay? Be patient. Let him do it. You may find yourself in places you're like, I never thought I'd be doing this. I mean, I never thought that when I moved out to Ohio to go to seminary that I'd be working with crime victim services as the leader of the, the, the Crime Victim Services Ministry Group, working with victims of crime, not, not people who, were, who had committed crimes, but victims of crime. And it was one of those things where I just, I wrote them because I heard about the job, and I said, hey, you know what, I got my, my criminal justice degree, uh, and, and you know, I'm, I'm in seminary, and I just listed like three or four skills, right? I didn't send a resume. I just listed a couple things, and I sent an email off and said, can you tell me more about the position? The guy, the director of it, who was somebody who had actually helped enact bills into law in Ohio, uh, you know, he'd worked for victims' rights. He writes me back, he says, I love your resume. When can you come in to interview? I was like, it's not a resume. I just, just put a couple things together. But you'll, if you're somebody like that with multiple gifts and skills and abilities, you may be going around the mountain and you don't realize how God is building your resume. Go with him. 
let him do it. For some of you, the journey is like getting into a water slide, and it's a one-shot. I mean, you're on the massive, like, woo! Like, all of a sudden, you're in it, and you're in the pipeline, and you're like, I'm holding on for dear life. I never thought I'd be doing this, but woo! And... And, and, you're like, and those are the people that like some of us look at and we're like, wow, I can't believe like how high capacity they lead. You know, they're, they're the Gilbert Thurstons of the world who say, you know, I went to 30 some thousand churches with purpose. I mean, they're the people who get sucked into a pipeline and it's like, you know, and, and it's amazing because God has for that season or for that time frame, he's given them a singular focus and they zero in on it and away they go. The worst thing we can do though is assume that that's going to be all of our journeys because that's when we get frustrated. We compare ourselves to somebody else's journey, and we start to go, well, that's not me, so God must not have a purpose for me. And Gilbert can tell you, I can tell you, others can tell you, it's not true. God has a purpose for you. He's hardwired it into you from, from before you were born. And part of this journey is just building the resume so that he can position you where, you where he wants you to be. Some of you will be on the water slide, and you're going to have one purpose, and it's going to take you a long, long way. Maybe your whole life you'll be working in that one stream. Some of you are going to change streams, like you change clothes. But there's going to be a consistent thread. If you're following the Lord in that, there'll be a consistent thread, and you'll be able to see it all along the way. So be gracious with yourself as you do this. It's important for you to realize there are clues in your design but you also have to let God lead that journey. And then that brings us to the last thing. When we ask this question of what is God's will for my life, we often miss a very simple, simple thing. We often look for something that is special and totally different than anything we've read in Scripture. We look for that one thing that's, that's me. How do I let me be me? You know, it's all me, me. I wanna, you know, we get so focused on our design and what we like and what we want to do that we start saying, God, tell me what to do. When the reality is, we have to start with understanding God's will for my life is already stated in his word. How I engage his plans depends on how well I know him. So if we can understand that this instruction manual that we have is really something for anybody who is a follower of, of, of God, anybody who's a follower of Jesus Christ, this is an instruction man. In here is God's purpose for all of us. We are all called to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus, who help others become followers of Jesus, who help others become followers of Jesus. I mean, that is, that is the core mission that we have as followers of Jesus. That is the core. You know, you can call that evangelism if you want. You can call that discipleship if you want, if you want to use the big terms that, that have lots of baggage around them. But, but, the, but the simplest understanding is I'm called to follow him in such a way that as I follow, I help others follow. And by helping others follow, they help others follow. Does that make sense? That's a core mission for all of us. So if, if you don't know your, like your specific task for your career or whatever, guess what? You already have at least one job to do everywhere you go. It's in every sphere, every setting. It's when you go out to lunch after service today and you're going, my head about exploded because Nate just, you know, just beat me over the head with this and I can never hear God clearly. And, and yet, here's my server who maybe needs me to express a little compassion and, oh, wait a minute, could this be a God moment? Could this be something God wants me to do? 
Instead of being like, why didn't you bring my drinks faster? I mean, don't you know you're not supposed to work on Sundays? But you're in my restaurant eating. So recognize every time you're in an environment, there's an opportunity for you to live out one of the core pieces of God's purpose and mission already for you. And there's a lot of them. I want to share this with you. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for living a godly life, for life and godliness. We've received all of this by coming to know Him. Boy, doesn't that sound like the first part of the message? We don't know what we're supposed to do. We don't even have any power to accomplish what we're supposed to unless we know Him, okay? But you flip that around. That's a promise from God. This isn't like an ought. Like, well, you ought to get to know God so you can get out of my house and stop playing video games. That's not an ought. This, this is a promise from God. His power gives us everything we need for life and for godliness by knowing him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence and because of his glory and excellence has given us great and precious promises. That piece, just to real simply unpack that, there are promises all throughout the Bible that God makes in regards to if you walk with him, then this. All kinds of them. I'm not going to unpack them here because guess what? That's another part of your purpose. Climb the mountain. Jump in the water slide. Let God take you on the journey. But as you go on the journey, make sure you've taken your supplies. Okay, this is your survival guide. This is your camping guide, your, your manual your mission guide, whatever, whatever context you're in that you need a playbook or a handbook or a guidebook, this is it. So his divine power gives us everything we need for life and godliness by knowing him and through his excellence and his glory and his wondrousness and his miraculous power and his ability to speak to us, he gives us everything we need and he promises us what we will need for that journey. And let's continue on. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Sharing his divine nature. Boy, that sounds like people who follow Jesus, who help people follow Jesus, who help other people follow Jesus, right? God has given you, he's promised you his power to be able to do that. So when you go out and say, well, I don't know if I can do that. Of course you can't do that. So just set that aside. Stop making it about you and your ability or lack of ability. It's God's ability in you. He wants to use your gifts and abilities. He wants to be the electricity that runs the machine, if you get what I'm saying. I mean, he wants to be the one who's working in and through you. His divine power is giving you, or his divine nature to, to share his divine nature, escape the world's corruption. In view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. Moral excellence with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with patient endurance, patient endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love for everyone. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you that the Greek word for brotherly affection is actually Philadelphia. Go Eagles. <laughs> but the, 
And I'm not joking on that. I'm not, you know, I'm not making it up like Gilbert did with the, you know, it's, anyways. So, but those, <laughs> but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their sins. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you really are among those God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. Then God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's already written out so much in his promises that even if we don't understand all of the, the, the practical daily things right away, he'll connect the dots. He really will. And I want to bring that home in just one other way. Uh, you guys don't have this, this scripture back there for the screen, and I'm just going to give it to you. Psalm 32 and 33, if you want to write that down. It's, uh, it's just one, kind of, one passage in there, but I want to unpack this for you. Psalm 32 and 33 Psalm 33, it says, the Lord keeps his eye on those who fear him. And in Psalm 32, it says, I will lead you with my eye on you. And translators have a little bit of challenge with that because they're not sure. Some translators translate it like with my eye on you. In other words, I'm watching you and therefore I'm giving you guidance that is intimately connected to what I see you doing. Other translators say, I will lead you with my eye. Now, when I was a teenager, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be a nerd for a minute, so just hang with me. If you're, if you're not a geek and you're not a nerd, just let, just let it, you know, take a nap if you want to. But um, Star Trek was really, the next generation was really on a big time when I was a kid, and some of you just like instantly glazed over as soon as I said that. So just, you know, hang in there. I think you'll get it. Um, you, you, don't, you don't need to be a Trekkie to get this. Um, there was an episode where, you know, so for those of you who don't know Star Trek, the concept is they're on this journey on a spaceship through, you know, through the universe and they're finding new life and new civilizations and it's all about, you know, the journey and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so putting all that aside and knowing that there aren't other life forms in the universe and all that and it's all sci-fi, there was an episode where these aliens who really don't exist, but they, they exist, they're on the, the bridge of the ship. And real simply, they're on the ship and they're talking about how they want to study humans and they're going to basically enslave the, 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 the crew of the ship to study them. And they, and they seem like this really innocent group of aliens, but they've never encountered humans before. It's like, we want to study you. So we're just going to take you captive and study you. And as the captain is talking with them, he does one of these things where he's talking with them and letting them talk and talk with them. And as he's talking, he's looking at his first officer. He's looking at his security officer. He never says a word. He just gives them a glance here and there. The time he makes his rounds around the bridge and these aliens are done saying they're, you know, he got them monologuing. You know, when they're done monologuing, the security officer enacts a force field around them and traps them. Now, the captain never said a word. Never said a word. He did it with his eyes. And a few years later, you know, so that was in me. And I, I, as a teenager, I was like, that was really cool. You know, like, and they even go so far as to call it out, like, because it was really dramatized, because the camera zooms in, and you see him, like, you know, but, but, you know, but the aliens weren't noticed, and I thought, you know, this is really cool, it'd be neat if I had a relationship with somebody like that, where just a look could communicate everything that I was thinking, and, and, and then some of you got married. <laughs> but there's... As I, as, I, as I grew in this, and then I got married, there was this time, I, I, I got married too. Um, to, 
there was a moment where I realized early on in our marriage that we'd be at a conference or we'd be listening to somebody or we'd be in a room where we couldn't talk to each other. We could even be across the room from each other, but there'd be a look, just a glance, and it was like, yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. You know, and just like there was, in, and I was like, wow, that's cool. Like that really works. And then what was even cooler is when I became a parent and you're, you know, kids are growing up through and they're, and they're coming and, and you're like, you, so your spouse, you've got this thing going with your spouse and you can do all that thing around the kids because the kids don't have any clue that you're doing the whole eye, you know, it's like, you know, and, and you know, you can, you, so there's a moment where you feel like the captain, like the aliens are on the ship and we're going to, we're going to like, you get them over there and I'll get them over there. And you know, you know especially when you have more than two, because then you go into zone defense and you can't, you know, because you're not man-to-man coverage anymore once you got three, because, but, but you, you know, you need the... You need, you need to have, and, and so we get this going. Well, then all of a sudden there was a moment where we were, and I don't even remember where we were, but it was, I remember specifically, it was Corinne and Kaylee, and, and I looked at them, and I went like that. That's all I did. I just moved my eyes. And they looked at me, and they nodded. And they went and did it, exactly what I was thinking. And I was like, yes! <laughs> That's awesome! How that works. And to this day, I love that. I'm, like, I'm seeing it with Zachary now. It's like with Zach, it's like he'll come in the room and be like, you know, he's like, you know, and it's like, yes, we've gotten there. Let me encourage you with that because some of you have experienced that in your relationships. If you're not experiencing that in your relationships, don't worry about it because you just may not be really good with facial expressions. But that, <laughs> um, and that's okay. Got it? You know, you can do hand signals. You can be like a third base coach, and you know, but. However you work it out, the point is, when God looks at us, he wants to do that with us. Do you understand? In relationship to us, God wants it. Why did he build that into us? Why did he build that understanding? Why are we able to do it? Because it's a reflection of him. It's a reflection of how he wants to have relationships. So intimate, so understanding, so close, that all he has to do is... And we respond. We know exactly what he means. Now, we aren't, we aren't always able to see God face to face, but we're able to have his Holy Spirit moving in us. And all it takes is that little twinge, that little tweak, that little move, that little breeze, that little something that happens. We go, oh, wait a minute, that's a God thing. I need to respond. God, when he says, I will lead you with my eyes on you, or I'll lead you with my eyes, that's what he's talking about. So the greatest promise we have when we ask the question, how do I know God's will for my life? Is that God wants to tell you. He wants to show you. And so if you're struggling in that, I'm going to encourage you with a couple of things. By all means, get the tools. Look at your design. It's healthy. Nothing's going to be hurt by that. Okay? But the most important thing you can do is begin to cultivate your relationship with him, your understanding of his word, so that as you're climbing the mountain or as you're on your way down the water slide or whatever it is your journey looks like, you are understanding him more and more how he speaks, what he says, what his promises are. Because what does is, what is Peter, Second Peter tell us? Second Peter tells us his divine power gives us all that we need for all of it. For all of it. It's long, all we have to do is draw near to him and know him. 
Now, for those of you this morning who say, you know, I feel like I've been down this path for a while. I think I know God's purpose for my life. I just want to put a seed of caution in for you. Don't ever become so confident that you're, that you're just executing on your journey the way God made you. Because remember, the Pharisees had this issue. And when Jesus showed up on the scene, they're like, but we're doing it. We're doing it right. We're doing it right. And Jesus is like, ah, you missed something. So for those of us who feel like we're mature and we're on the journey, don't lose Samuel's heart. Don't lose Samuel's open nature to say, God, whatever you say, here I am, Lord, speak. Because incidentally, Samuel became one of the most amazing prophets. I mean, he's the one that, um, <laughs> he, he leads Israel through this whole time of, of struggling. They want a king and everything else. And Samuel becomes this powerful man of God who's able to speak the words of God and things happen um, so if you're on the journey and you think you're confident, just pull back from time to time and say, God, check me. Check my direction. If you're on the front end of this and you haven't been walking it for a while and you're thinking, I really don't know how to get there, then I want to just challenge you this way. Start reading. Start getting to know his word. Get to know the way he speaks, the promises he's made, and then start trusting him. I know that's not always easy when you've got practical realities. You've got phone bills coming due. You've got gas bills coming. I mean, you've got all these, these things. You've got to get a job. I've got to decide what to do. God knows that. And even in the instant moments, he will give you the clue. He'll give you the glance. You just got to tune in. Take the time. Do the work. Rest. Listen. And then as you get more and more confident in him, you'll notice how much he's been speaking, even in those moments when things seem crazy. That he's always there. He's always speaking. He's always leading you with his eye. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that wherever we are on the journey, we can't see it all. It's just not possible for us to see it all. So I thank you, God, that you do. I thank you that you care about how we walk the journey and where we go in the journey. I thank you, God, that you have purpose for all of us even beyond our specific things that we do as a daily task or hobby or career or job or, or what have you, you have a purpose for all of us together. Help us, Lord, always to be tuning into that individually and as a community, to be those who follow you and help others follow you, who help others follow you. But at the same time, Lord, help us to trust you, listen to you. And as we go through each day, make the wise choices that position us to hear you more clearly and position us to use our gifts and abilities, the ones that you've given us and designed into us, to accomplish the things you've prepared in advance for us to do. Give us the heart and the courage, Lord, to do the work, to draw near to you. And Lord, help us to tune out those voices that may be distracting us from you so that we can hear you more clearly. And I'm not going to quote the song. But, but we should follow you more dearly and love you, love you more dearly and follow you more nearly. Okay, I quoted the song. God, we love you. I thank you that you love us, that you go on this journey with us, you care about us, and that you enjoy this with us. God, help us to enjoy it with you as we discover the, the next steps ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. And now we come to our last of our... Our questions. I'm, I'm reading them. Yeah, right. I, I, I see you are. <laughs> with that smirk on your face.
Uh, we, we had some interesting questions that came in today. Uh, since nothing is impossible for God, can he create a round triangle? That comes from somebody with the initials of GT. Uh, exactly how do you remain so sexy? That came in from somebody with the initials of AB. And uh, do the weights I just destroyed in the gym get to go to heaven? GT. By, uh, <laughs> someone with the initials of, of JT. So uh, do you want to take that? No. All right, let's go to the real question, too. <laughs> Go ahead, next slide, next slide, please. All right, if God already knows the future, why even bother to pray? Are we able to change his mind? Mm -hmm. Is faith healing and talking in tongues a real thing? And then why are there so many translations of the Bible? So again, by your applause, you guys get to choose which one you want to hear. So uh, number one, uh, about why even bother to pray? Let's hear by applause on that one. Uh, faith healing, talking in tongues. And why are there so many translations for the Bible? I was like, wow, that was even. And it's, it's 11.30 already. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. I, I'll do all three in like 45 seconds. Ready? Go. You can time me. Okay. So if God already knows the future, why bother to pray? Um, because he's experiencing the present with us. And he wants us to be actively involved in what's going on. So can we change his mind? I think we could debate that. Uh, back and forth, because at certain points of the Bible, God seems to say we could. But if you read it carefully and you look at it, normally if we change his mind, it's, in, it's normally in relationship to us and our change of heart, because he will accomplish his plans, whether it's through us or through someone else. So a lot of the issue of prayer is whether or not we're the active vessel through which he begins to do his work. Does that make sense? Okay, next one. Is faith healing and talking in tongues a real thing? Go read my blog with Worldview Warriors from last week, because uh, the whole th or from yesterday actually, because it was all about whether God does physical healing in regards to tongues. Tongues is a real thing, uh, but you need to understand that if somebody starts breaking out like the fivefold gifts of tongues and how you know, there's tongues for this and tongues for that, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that tongues are a language that is it is the ability to communicate in other languages, and it was for the purpose of being assigned to unbelievers so that they could hear the gospel clearly in their language and in their inflection. Uh, so that people could understand and, and follow God. That's the purpose of tongues. You see that in Acts. When the tongues come, they all understand in their own dialect, and they're able to come to faith in Jesus. Anything beyond that is experiential doctrine, and we need to be very careful how we walk in that. Uh, and the last one, why are there so many translations of the Bible? Because the Bible languages, the original languages, are Hebrew and Greek. Hebrew is a very picturesque language, and you understand the word by the context. So a lot of the translations are an effort to try and help you understand the context based on the current culture they're translating into. Does that make sense? So there's translations in Old English, there's translations in New English, there's expanded translations, the Amplified Bible is like every possible translation. They just put every word in there, you know, and, and, and possibilities. Um, but the other aspect is the New Testament doesn't have as many pictures, but it's a very engineering and very precise type language. But you have a similar issue. How do you apply it to today's culture? So they, they do different translations to connect it in different ways to the culture. Back to you. <laughs> if you. If you want a little bit more about those, if you were one of the ones that asked that or interested and you want more than the 45 seconds, both Nathan and I can uh, sort of talk to you out in the lobby or in other ways about that. Because those are uh, questions a lot of people have. So. All right, did you guys enjoy this series? The uh, You Asked for series? This was your series. You guys got to design it and were able to hopefully answer some of your uh, questions that you had, both uh, that we got to prepare for and the ones that we didn't get uh, to prepare for as well. All right, with that said,